Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Father Rick Nagel. I'm the pastor of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, the home of the Eucharistic Revival Chapel for Adoration in July of 2024. Uh, we welcome you. We're um, here in the heart of Advent and behind us is you can see the historic crash of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church. It was built in the Great Depression in 1933. Um, beautiful story behind it in that it was given as a gift as a pastor to some of the parishioners who were stagehands and were out of work during that time because of the depression and they were uh, given the gift of work to be able to provide for their families at christmas so we're blessed to be able to do this third podcast of the eucharistic revival here in front of the historic crash at saint john the evangelist catholic church I have with me two good friends and parishioners, Beth and Thomas Wright, uh, former evangelical missionary and pastor, and now uh, parishioners here at St. John's. Welcome to the third podcast for the Eucharistic Revival. Thank Fun. you, Father. Thanks. It's great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background and your journey to Catholicism, to the faith and to the Eucharist. Well, we actually grew up together in the Presbyterian Church um, it's possible that from the time that we were infants, we might have been in the nursery together mm -hmm. because our families had attended this church all our childhood. Yeah. And um, it, it was a wonderful church to grow up in. Uh, we grew up Protestant, um, something uh, with a little bit more of a Reformed theology background, um, but a church that taught us to love the scriptures, that um, going to being present, being there every Sunday was a big importance for both of our families, but it was a church that we felt very comfortable when we grew up, that we wanted to be there uh, and to be a part of that worshiping body. We got our first Bibles, was that? Second grade. Second grade. Second grade, Second grade. yeah. Um, Here's the word. Go right, they, 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 you know, had Major us all come up and, mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely. And um, we were in choir together. We were in choir together, handbell hand choir, choir together. together. Um, Did you know each other at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, we've yeah, we known were each in other Hamble since together yeah. and elementary school. Yeah. We started dating in high school. Yeah. What a great journey of uh, life together yeah. from the very beginning. And your, your families of faith, your origin of faith, I've, I've met family members on both sides, wonderful, faithful people. Mm -hmm. And eventually, um, you took a, a, a track, a vocation to serve the Lord in your life, really. Yeah, it was um, going into to college. It was right about the end of my high school year that um, we had a renewal service because revival is a little bit too strong for Presbyterians. So we, we, we tend to renew. And, um, but during that time, there was um, a, a, a pastor who came to speak with us, and he really talked about dedicating your life to God. And during that time of revival, um, I remember praying, you know, Lord, I, I want to serve you. Just don't make me go to seminary. <laughs> <laughs> but conditions, right? Love, I'd love to follow you, Lord. Right. But, I, yeah. I mean, you know, and um, as, as it worked out, we, we both uh, finished up high school. We went to colleges that were close to each other. Mm -hmm. And um, getting ready to graduate college, the first phone call I get was to, you know, at a private Christian school saying, we've got an orchestra program, we need an orchestra teacher, and you were recommended by one of your college professors who knew you were a Christian. And 
like answer to prayer. Lord, I get to work in full-time Christian vocation and teach music and, you know, don't have to go to seminary. Um, and I was, I was working at Lilly at that point already. Um, we were married. It's almost right. 26 years ago. Okay. Almost, like next week. Excellent. Yeah. And you had, you'd been to college then and your degree and uh, your work at Lilly? Work at Lilly, analytical chemist. And yeah, I've been there, yeah, 25, almost 26 years then. Yeah. So I got that right out of, right out of school. Um, so it was, you know, I actually started working in my field before I graduated. You were... You know, you yeah, they, the school actually hired me my junior year of college, and I had to take a semester off so I could do my student teaching yeah. and, and finish my degree so that I could come back and um, teach full-time. And somewhere in between there, Beth and I started working um, with uh, um, an evangelical missionary organization where we started teaching English in Russia. Yeah. We would go for um, about three weeks in the summer and teach uh, English. My, my brother was living there. He was a missionary. Okay. So, um, and of course, you know, we, we knew each other's families, right? So, so it wasn't a stretch for us to go together, right? right. Or, or he would go with Mark just right. yeah. even if I wasn't able to go. And, and, and somewhere during that time, the Lord began to tug my heart for international missions. And, and so I knew that um, uh, we're they have to re-interview me as, I, as I'm getting ready to just start full-time teaching. And I remember blurting out in my interview, you know, I think the Lord's calling me to like full-time international missions. I, I really don't know if I should take this job teaching at the school. And <laughs> yeah, that's a real seller there. That's a real yeah. seller. I might be here for a couple months. And <laughs> one, of the most, one of the most wonderful things that ever happened um, was my you know, meeting that principal, Mary Jane English. And, and she said, do this for five years. And while you're doing this for five years, pray. And we'll pray. And we'll ask that you discern, um, you know, what God wants to do. And... Five years later, first day of school, I walked into her office and she just burst into tears because she knew um, that, that I would be leaving, you know, that I was going to be resigning at the end of that year. And, um, and then we made a move from that career to work full time in international missions, um, helping to teach English, but using that as a vehicle to teach the gospel. And in doing that, it brought us into contact with countries that were predominantly Catholic or Orthodox. And now I've got to explain why I want you to be part of our evangelical church that are, you know, that we're building up there as opposed to the national church or the, you know. And so I, I think during this time is when it really kind of started for me. Um, I became a little bit anti-Catholic. I had my little talking points of why you should be Protestant evangelical rather than 
you know, Orthodox or Catholic. Orthodox you're kind of like a, you're like a Scott Hahn. You set out to prove the Catholic Church wrong, <laughs> and it ended up in the church. Uh, right. Yeah. So be careful if you if you try to go out and and, and do that. But but there were uh, some good theological differences, and this is during this time it really uh, perked my interest in theology and uh, studying. Um, you know, what other people have written about it. We already had a great love for the scriptures. I mean, you know, growing up the way that we did, we did Bible races and we could find scriptures faster than memorize scriptures and get points at camp for reciting scriptures and things like this. So we, we had a great love for the scriptures, but now putting a philosophical reasoning with, with why we believed uh, while doing international missions was um, kind of the next step. And during that time, I began to understand that, hey, I need more training in this. I, you know, and then that led you into working on a master's at that point? That led me into seminary. <laughs> yeah, that led you into seminary. And here, here's where the shakeup began. Here's, here's where the shakeup Shake begins. Shake down, we might say. Well, um, at the time that we were um, exploring the option of seminary, uh, we, we looked into... Um, Princeton and if we were going to relocate to Jersey Beth was going to have to relocate you know with me as well and and a friend of ours said well don't worry there are lots of chemistry companies out here we'll find Beth a job real quick and this church wanted to employ me and help send me to seminary and they had a professional job seeker headhunter person in their congregation and it's like you, you'll you'll see well well month goes by no job offers i mean there's just nothing open and, and there's i mean there's a ton i mean, like literally a ton of chemical companies where i would fit in you know what i the skills that i had would be completely yeah. appropriate right but god wasn't opening and any was doors like, there yeah no yeah. doors there and um and you know this <laughs> The same group was like, well, maybe you could go out to San Diego <laughs> or maybe go out to, to the San Francisco area. We could employ you out there or we could we can do anything. It, it, was, it was just, you know, everything that to kind of make it so that we could relocate to New Jersey. Nothing was happening. God was just sort of closing those doors. And um, so we, we, we kind of gave up on that. And then shortly after that, a, a job at a large evangelical church. They needed someone to be their interim music director who had sort of a contemporary classical background. And I've done music and stuff like that. And um, they also were an extension site for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So I could take classes there at the church. They send the professors from Chicago down to Greenwood, take your classes there while working at the church. And um, so now I'm, I'm doing full-time ministry, going to seminary. It's everything that I've ever said, Lord, this is what I want to do and prepare for the next phase of our lives. And it was a great um, church for us to be part of. So also, while all this is going on, um, some of the ministry that Tom's doing has a lot to do with youth. So... He had a youth band. They'd travel across the country. He had he worked with a lot of, you know, youth camps in other countries, and um, we also were hosting exchange students. So, my family had hosted a couple of exchange students when when we were when I was in high school and college, 
And um, because we had worked in this thing with Russia, someone was like, hey, there's this Russian kid who needs, he wasn't Russian, he need, who needs a host family. He spoke Russian. He spoke Russian, but he wasn't Russian. Um, could you host him? You know, maybe you could host him. So we started, we did that. And then the next year we decided, well, let's that host. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah well, it was, it was interesting. Let's host another kid. And that was a little bit of a disaster. And then, but we decided to host another kid. And I mean, it was just, we were, we were young and the kids that we were hosting were this almost the same age. Like they had older siblings, yeah, the our age, right? right? It was like, oh, this is interesting. But we started, you know, hosting exchange students. And, um, but that third student, Pedro, yeah. was was Catholic. He's a Brazilian boy and yeah. Catholic family. And we're sending him to a private evangelical school. And he comes home one day and he's got some interesting questions. He's, he said something along, along, he always referred to us as Christians. He's Catholic and we're Christians. And he said something along the lines of, do you Christians believe in being good people? And I'm like, well, of course we do. Yes, you know, that's what Christians, you know, we're good people. We're, we believe in that. And, and he related this um, conversation at school where someone asked him if he knew he was saved. Or if you died today, he, this, this is the classic question, if you died today and stood before God and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And Pedro said, well, I'm a good person. Well, that's the wrong answer. You know, you, you know, that, that, you know that's, that's what he was told, that this was the wrong answer. You should say, I've been saved. I, I've, I've been saved. I've accepted Jesus Christ yeah, as my personal Lord and Savior. Savior or something yeah, like that. But to him, this was very confusing. And um, it, it got me thinking about, again, sort of theologically in the terminology that, that we use as, as Protestants, um, what, how do we express the fullness of salvation? And... That hypothetical question is not really going to happen, so it doesn't have a lot of basis in some reality. So I, I wanted to find out, well, what would be the proper Catholic answer to that question? Mm -hmm. you know. So were you already in, in seminary at this point? Uh, I, I, I hadn't started seminary when, when Pedro was living with us. But that, kind of, that question kind of moved with you right. into seminary. And, and of course, you know, um, the only people I'm talking to at this point are ex-Catholics. Um, uh, people in our church who were formerly Catholic, and, and they all say, well, Catholics believe you have to work your way into heaven. Well, okay. Um, that's a half answer. <laughs> yeah. Faith and works. Let me fast forward a little bit, and I want to come back to the exchange student because that's such an important part of your story um, that I, uh, from my experience of coming to know and love you guys, um, you're in seminary now, you're taking some classes uh, that are probably required and some that you've chosen. And you're, you're starting to have some questions now of could Catholicism be true? Or you were just more trying to, to debunk Catholicism? Well, I, I, I love church history and, and that's where it started getting interesting. Um, because as we're reading about and studying the early church, um, one of the books I still kind of go back to is um, this little book here called The Documents of the Christian Church. And um, I, I'm, I'm reading the Didache, and I'm reading um, you know, other parts of early treatises that were the Christians were writing against various heresies. 
And they're talking about particularly the Eucharist in a very odd way, a very specific way. And I started finding that a bit fascinating. And um, we had a particular exchange student during this time, a boy from Spain, who while we were going to our evangelical church every Sunday, he missed going to Mass. And so he asked if I could take him to Mass. And um, our service was earlier enough that when it was finished, I could leave church and we could make it to Mass here at St. John. So I would bring David up to here and we would sneak in the back and hope that no one would know. I mean, it was kind of funny. The first couple of Sundays I was here, I was like, everyone's going to know I'm not Catholic because I'm not going to stand at the right time or say the right thing. And they're all going to go, oh! So we would it. sit in the back there, all, all, you know, this far back corner over there, no one will see us. But it was interesting, the first sermon I remember, I think you said, Beer is good. No, that was no. the first one I heard. That was the first one you heard. <laughs> God is great. Beer is good. People are crazy. crazy. Yeah, okay. that was the first one I heard. But, but I, it, was, it, was, it was your first sermon that I remember hearing. You said the words, something about a personal relationship with Jesus. And I went... I haven't heard that from... I went home and said, Beth, <laughs> there's this Catholic priest up there who pre talks like an evangelical. <laughs> I, think he, I think he's in the wrong church. You know, I think he's in the wrong church. You should come they up and... have personal relationships with Jesus Well, because every there. Catholic I ever talked to had ever said that we had never heard about a personal relationship with Jesus until we became a Protestant or an evangelical. So he's like, yeah, you got to come hear this priest. So I'm like, okay. you got to come hear this guy. <laughs> that's, like, so that's when you heard that crazy hobbly. Right. Then, 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 then we, came, <laughs> we, we came there. And then um, I, I think shortly after that, we heard even your own testimony was as part of your homily about how the Lord brought you back into um, a relationship with the church. And we went, wow, okay, this, this, this is not what I expected. Mm -hmm. um, and then in church history, you're always going to get some assignment where now you have to go visit a church that's not your denomination and write a paper on it. Well, we were already sneaking up here anyway, so we might as well just, <laughs> I might as well just do my paper on the Catholic Church. Yeah. And again, I, I'm watching everything with amazement, the way that you, I mean, we did communion. You know, we do communion in our church. We do communion in the Presbyterian Church. But the way that you presented it and talked about it was very different than what we grew up with. And I thought I knew what Catholics thought. I might have even talked a couple of people out of becoming Catholic because I thought I knew what Catholics taught about the, the Eucharist. And come to find out, I think the Catholics are right. It's like, oh dear. Uh -oh. Um, right, it was, it was a big thing. That's a problem. So it was, it was, it was shortly after David for, for Christmas, um, he gave me, because um, we were interested in Catholicism, he gave me a copy of Robert Barron's book, um, Catholicism. David did. Yeah, yeah our, our Spanish exchange student, yes. David. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, right here, in, I mean, I started underlining passages because. It's like. Wait, wait, he's talking he about a personal relationship with, I mean, relationship with Jesus. I've got notes written it's in like there. In the first, and I'm like, wait a chapter. second, that priest was saying the same thing, and now here's another priest who's saying the same thing. Do Catholics really believe in a personal relationship with Jesus? 
And my goodness, the answer is yes. Yes. You know, it should be a resounding yes. Yeah. And no greater personal relationship could come than through the Holy Eucharist, through the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So you're starting to kind of dive deeper and understand the teaching of the church of what the communion is right. that one receives. And that's kind of tugging on you now. Right. And, and so that was a very influential book. If I ever get to meet Robert Barron, you know, I'm going to give him He's a hug. Been to Thank this you. church before. I know I missed and him. And I, when I, when I met him, he was, uh, I, 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 he came in and he says, "Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful." And, you know, he said all the films and beautiful churches mm-hmm. all over the world. And I said, "This could be your next site." And so I hope that he'll see this uh, podcast right. and he'll know this is his second invitation back. But maybe in the Eucharistic Congress, he'll be here. Um, this could be a place where he might want to. Right. Um, stop in certainly to pray, but also to film because it's such a spectacular, beautiful, sacred place. Back, I do, right. you know. So we, we, we hit the meat of, of, of systematic theology. And I have to say, uh, Wayne Grudem's book on systematic, it's a, it's a good book. Mm-hmm. It's a very good book. And I never had a professor at Trinity who was negative toward the Catholic Church. Yeah, praise God. Um, they were always very respectful. Uh, Trinity Evangelical um, was involved with conversations with the Catholic Church back in the, the 80s, 90s mm-hmm. to, to, to hammer out sort of some guidelines about how we do international missions. And I was aware of that. Um, in his book, uh, Wayne Grudem, he's very fair, and, and especially when I got to the, the chapters on the Lord's Supper and Communion, he's very fair uh, presenting the Catholic point of view. Um, and, and there are three, sometimes four, points of view when it comes to uh, communion in the Eucharist. And, and looking into this, you know, I, I kind of took it in and we were still evangelical, we were still Protestant. And then one day it happened. I'm sitting in my office at church and one of the associate pastors um, stops in and he helps to do our membership class. And he said, I got an interesting question at membership class. And the question was, what do we believe about the nature of communion? And he said to me, I know we don't do the Catholic thing, but what are the other viewpoints? What are the other options? And I assured him right there that we don't buy into the Lutheran point of view either as as evangelicals. And there could be a slight difference between John Calvin, and then what later evangelicalism um, has said about it. But it got me thinking, well, why don't we buy into the Catholic thing? Why don't we, why don't we agree with the Catholic option? What, what do the Catholics really say about it? And that's when I really began to dive into studying that. I actually wrote a nice one-page paragraph of why would they should have adopted Calvin's view. Um, that was not the, the view of the church I was serving at the time. Um, which, you know, the pastor said it was completely symbolic. It was, you know, we, we do this out of obedience because Jesus tells us, but the bread and the wine are just, they're, they're, they're symbols. symbols. Yeah. One of the things I've always appreciated about both of you is that um, you're not afraid to dive deeper, to search for answers, and then to speak what you believe. Um, you know, in your life. And so um, I'm not surprised that you spoke up at that point and said, this is maybe something we should have looked at. Um, but yeah. at, at the same time, you continue then to be 
um, being nudged kind of just consistently people are being placed in your lives and uh, questions are being asked of you was there a kind of key point where you said we we have to to move in the direction of Catholicism well yeah. I yeah I mean what would you say Pat? so 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 he relayed this question to me when he got when he got home that night and and it started me thinking which I mean he's been doing all this study you know on kind of on his own right and he tells me you know, he asked me this question and it, it struck me as interesting you know kind of as a missionary wife pastor wife when he would travel to different churches I would have to think okay what's the theology of this church so that if somebody asks me a question I don't scandalize somebody right, mm -hmm. okay. right? And, and what should I wear because that, that matters for women more than it does for men um, in, in many of these churches right and it's like I'm an analytical chemist, right? I'm very analytical. And it struck me when he, when he said that, that it was like, wait, I don't, I, don't, I don't tolerate two things that are mutually exclusive, both being true at work. That's not something that can happen. That's logically not possible. So if there are four views of communion, one of them has to be right. And if one of them is right, then the others have to be wrong because they don't agree, <laughs> right? Which that's kind of problematic because I kind of lived with this diversity of thought from, you know, forever, right? Because there's diversity within the Protestant world. And it's like, okay, so, wow. So then I had to start studying too, right? Because what's, you know, what's, What's it going to be, right? Is, is, are we going to continue to live with something that I know is not true because one of them has to be not true? Or am I going to find which one is true and go with that, right? And it's like, okay, now then, where are we? Because then you came to a point, you said. We, um, as we were digging into this, I, I wanted to... I wanted to debunk transubstantiation, first of all, because I was, I was sure that that was a medieval made-up concept to fool the masses and, you know, little sleight of hand and, you know, the ignorant peasants wouldn't understand and if you told them this, they would just become loyal to the church. And um, so I was like, okay, I got to look for what did the church say about communion before Thomas Aquinas, because Thomas Aquinas came up with that word, and so we'll just ignore him and go further back than him. Um, a lot of Protestants think that somewhere the church went corrupt, so I've got to find a time, place, in history where the church is not corrupt, and what, what was the church teaching at that time to find the truth, all right? Most, most Protestants um, kind of have a simplistic view of history that somewhere the church went corrupt, sort of fell into a coma, and then was revived, you know, starting in the 1500s. And um, so what did you find in that exploration? You went back to the very... As I go further and further back into the, the, the writings of the early Christians, I'm finding them talking about the, that the bread and the wine are the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And even um, warnings, hey, 
don't take communion with them because they deny this. And I'm like, well, like, that's what Protestants right. do is we <laughs> deny this. And, Saint and, Polycarp, no, I don't. And I don't, then I want you, you know, you know I'm, I'm reading about Polycarp, and and everyone, you know, most historians will say Polycarp was a disciple of John. All right, and um, Irenaeus and Ignatius were disciples of Polycarp, and and many of them, you know, might have heard John. But they at least got this from Polycarp, who got it directly from John. Right. And within the first two centuries of the church, there's not the word transubstantiation, but the meaning of that is all there. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and that's how they understood it. Yeah. And, and he, he came to me one night, he's like, if this is true, this is the church we have to be in. And it's like, you're right. You're going to have to quit your job. <laughs> you know. It's very complicated because you were in such a unique place of your life. First off, your whole life from the time you were a child and your families, which, is, you know, you had to have some great sensitivity, I'm sure, to that, uh, to the upbringing. But now um, you're also leading in a parish and serving full time. And so... Yeah, you're in, a, you're in a tight place at this point to, to make a decision like that. So you started to say, well, at least we'll come to the Catholic Church. And you were doing both at that time, right? You were yeah, a lot of times we were, we were coming on Saturday nights so that then we could you know, be at our, our, our church on Sunday. But, you know, it, it, it is. It, 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 there's, a, there's this sort of sense of panic that it's like, I, I, I think this is true. I think this is... This, this, this is, this is you know, the fullness of truth um, is what I would say, I guess, now to be a little bit more um, uh, pastoral, I guess, about it, sure. charitable about it. OK, sure. um, it's the it, it's the fullness of truth. And but yeah, that for me, that's to, to quit my job as a pastor. I mean, that was my identity. I mean, for a lot of people, I was I was Pastor Tom, you know. I mean, the, the, you know, the, there, there's, a, there's a part of the income that's there that, you know, that we're going to, you know, we're going to lose my, my livelihood, my identity, almost really as a Christian. And um, when we decided to start RCIA, um, is the right of Christian the right of Christian initiation. I mean, I had to go and talk to my senior pastor and say, Beth and I at least want to take these classes. Um, do you think this is going to be a big conflict of interest? And um, he very kindly said, if, if that's where you think God is leading you, then you need to, you know, put your effort into that. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and we, um, we made a, a good time frame for us to step out of ministry there which was right after Easter, mm -hmm. to begin RCIA with like the absolute longest time between one <laughs> Easter and the next oh, Easter right. it was, possible. It, it was, it was yeah. a late Easter that it was, year. It was, it was an early Easter the year that we, yeah. that we were like, so, so the conversation that we had, we have to, it was during Lent, right? And it's like, okay, we had started regularly coming here in Advent, that, mm -hmm. and it was like, Okay, so we gave him like six weeks notice, which would get him through like the end of March, right? Because it was like March 31st. 
And then the following Easter wasn't until like April 16 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we start in the fall with our yeah. year. Like, are you kidding right. me? So I, I know you named that the year of blessings. Year of right. blessings. Year of blessings. Because you, you came forward, you received yeah. blessing. the blessing. Right. And you know, one of the things that I want to share with people as part of your testimony is, is what I experienced in that. Because so often, because you you believed at that point when you came into, you know, you were coming to, to Mass, but also then into RCIA. And as they would come forward, there were oftentimes tears in both of your eyes just mm -hmm. uh, the, for not, not being able to receive. Mm -hmm. And so it just cut to my heart because I wanted so bad for you to. Mm -hmm. um, and while one of the decisions that a pastor can make is to kind of fast forward or kind of bring somebody in, um, outside of the normal, you know, um, mm -hmm. cycle. And you were so well formed, you know, I knew that. And yet one of the pastoral decisions I made and prayed about, a lot about is how valuable it would be, not just for you to go through um, kind of the time and waiting upon the Lord that way, but also the gift that you would bring to RCIA, to the other candidates and catechumens, mm -hmm. um, which now ironically, um, Beth, you're, you know, you help with a small group and help, mm -hmm. um, you know, consistently every year. And Tom, you've been a great support there also. So it was just a, it was such a beautiful kind of year of blessings, hard, I'm sure, waiting mm -hmm. for that uh, time where you could receive in the church. But at the same time, you know, the, I think God's grace was multiplied in that waiting. Mm. I remember the first time we got asked to bring the, the elements yeah, we, bring the, we were like, we were so excited. It was like, like oh, this is going to be, this is going yeah, like to be gift bearers. And right. this is going to be come the body, blood, soul, and divinity of yeah. our Lord. And we came, we, um, we came up and, and you said, I don't know which is harder. You not being able to receive or me not being able to get. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that it was, was like, a, it's, there was truth on both sides yeah. of, of, you know, we were both feeling it and, mm -hmm. and, the beauty is, is that, um, gosh, that year we had, uh, I, I was a large class of candidates and catechumens. 40? Yeah, maybe 40 or 42. And I do, again, the communal part of, you know, that mm -hmm. we, we believe we're part of the body of Christ. And I, you guys entered so beautifully into that uh, of, of being uh, a part of those who were on the journey, but also the congregation as a whole, the faithful here. And... Um, and then at one point you you actually before you came in, you actually handed me your membership cards, which is a, a moment I'll never forget in the narthex where you Father's me, Day. Yeah, it's Father's Day. Okay, Father's Day. Here are our membership cards. Um, you're my new father. Yeah, exactly. So, yep. Yeah. So, Pastor. So that was uh, a beautiful movement. I, again, I um, while it was kind of funny, it was also like, whoa, they're they're serious and they're really making this move. Um, you know, to be in communion with the full community of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back a little bit because I think such a beautiful part of, as I've come to know you over the years, your journey is, is the, speaking of fatherhood and being a mother, um, you've, you've kind of raised, um, is it like 48? 48, 48, 48, 48 exchange students now. That, that just blows every, every time I tell somebody that, they're like, 48, are you kidding me? And so they've come from all over the world, usually two at a time. You've done this for, um, you're coming on 25 years now, I understand. And so that journey, I know it, in itself has got, have, is incredible in your own kind of faith journey and all the experiences of the traditions of religions that people, these young men have, have come mm -hmm. with, but also, um, 
you know, knowing that there was a time where you didn't want to have them talk about Catholicism, and then all of a sudden there's a time where that shifted over, and now you're, you're, you want to talk about Catholicism, and you're bringing them to Mass. It's part of what their, your commitment is, or their commitment as well, is that they, 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 they uh, engage in the activity of the family. So whether they're Catholic or not, many of your exchange students I've met, uh, we're Catholic, but you're introducing them to the faith. Not a, it's not a hard sell kind of thing. It's just a, here's what our family does mm-hmm. yeah, every, every Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, not and optional. A few extra days. <laughs> yeah, and a few, yeah, right, a few holy days. Which we can't make them come, right? You can't make no. But but, but it's like, but if you do come, you do get lunch. <laughs> yeah, right. It'll be a good lunch. <laughs> it's a good lunch. Yeah, and it's it's engaging them in the yeah. family life that you're experiencing. Yeah. Talk about, um, you know, over the years. What is that? How you know. I'm sure that's formed you in many different ways. Um, probably sanctified you in many ways as well, having so many <laughs> boys in the house. Fam- yeah, uh, family is how we get, yeah, that's the crucible in which we are sanctified, I think. And, and that's, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, right? And we have, yeah, lots of different traditions and lots of different boys, but we've, but, but there are boys, right? I mean, they're not like guests, right? <laughs> they're family. Um, and, you know, in some cases we've been able to visit their families or, um, and now, you know, a couple of our boys are actually our boys. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that. that. That's been a huge change in your, um, life in the last couple of years before you'd have them for a year or so, and then they'd, they'd go home mm-hmm. and then, uh, you may or may not be in touch over time. But now you have two sons who are, their home is your home for yeah. the lifetime now. Yep. Um, we, we sort of have a, a rule, a way that Beth and I lived, and, it, and it's like we're careful not to say no to the opportunities that God puts in front of us. Right. And our, our first son, um, who, who's our oldest, uh, a friend of ours called um, out of the blue and said, I work with an organization that does orphan hosting and um, there's this 15 year old boy. He's been, um, he, he's been recommended for the program for several years, but no one has ever chose to host him because he's not eligible for adoption. He has a mother who's disabled, who's still living. He's in the orphanage. So she said, it would be just like having another exchange student for five weeks. Would you take him? And from Ukraine. From Ukraine, from Ukraine yeah, yeah. A, boy, a boy from Ukraine. So um, mm. about six years ago, Anton came into our lives, and um, it seems like right away um, he didn't call us Tom or Beth. He just called us mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And at, at the end of that first year that he was with us, um, we were told that we could have him back in the summer for a longer time, and um, we, we, we were able to do that. And the orphanage, uh, the, the organization reported his grades were going up, his you know, effort in school was going up. He wanted to learn English because he was excited about coming back and being able to speak better English with you. And, you know... Um, and I think it was sometime during that summer, he brought up the words about adopting him. And we tried to explain that 
you know, um, we were told that you can't and then you're going to hit a certain age and you can't start adoption proceedings in Ukraine. And, but then we were able to have one more Christmas with him and when he turned 17, he's out of the orphanage. I mean, he aged out. He aged out. And so we're at that point, we've committed to financially supporting him. Uh, we wanted to make sure that he was not going to be homeless. That's the, 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 the sad reality of a lot of orphans in Ukraine is they become homeless. Um, and he got into to college and we're supporting him. And then lo and behold, a war breaks out. And um, so two years ago, he hiked out of Ukraine. And um, through our network of exchange students, it was our exchange students who engineered a way to get him out of a war zone into Romania, into Hungary, which I went and picked him up in Hungary, moved him to, with another exchange student in Germany, and then um, he was able to enter America on a humanitarian parole through Mexico. And, and, and during this whole time, everything from our past, the evangelical missionary organization, we had missionaries in every one of these countries who are still good friends of ours. Absolutely. And they all reached out, how can we help? Does he need a place to stay? If he's coming through Mexico, they were on alert that if something happened and he missed his flight or he got rejected, someone would go pick him up yep. and, and, and so that he wouldn't be on the street in some foreign country. And it was this beautiful way that the body of Christ got him out. Um, with our other son, Lemba, can I can I add something oh. with yeah, with, yeah. with Anton just the, the the so that our viewers know we kind of take for granted, but he's he's here, he's safe yeah. uh, with your family, yeah. and he's now a full time college student here locally at Marion yeah. University, University, University studying soccer, playing soccer on the soccer team, and just thriving. Um, such a great young man, and um, yeah, so your the the goodness uh, of your love for him and his love for you, and I think the you know, just sharing the love of Christ. Um, he sensed that right away of you and, and wanted to spend more time yeah. with his mom and dad. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Lemba, Lemba was brought here by a sports agent mm -hmm. who was going to manage his basketball career through college and possibly into the NBA. And um, he got abandoned at the, the house of the basketball coach who didn't know what to do with the foreign exchange student, so he called yeah. us yeah. and said, hey, could you students. take care of him? And then when we found out how Limba was being treated by this sports agent, and he didn't have a regular place to sleep, he wasn't sure where um, he was going to eat his meals, and he, he just didn't have the basic security of food, shelter, and transportation to and from school that a student needs to do well uh, we stepped in and then with his situation um, to send him back to Congo which you know the Cong Congo is in war um, even the city that he lives in is um, run by various gangs and uh, it is a common occurrence um, where he lives that you know people just steal things out of your house. They don't lock the door because if the gang wants to come in and steal things out of your home, why lock a door and have them break a door? Yeah, you know, just yeah. let them come in and... And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Limba, Limba's father 
uh, is not in the picture, wasn't alive? Is that... He's, he wasn't in the picture at the time, but he's since passed away. He's since, since passed away, yeah. yeah his, mom... his mom's still in Congo. Yeah, mm -hmm. and she was very uh, supportive of, mm -hmm. uh, of your interaction with him and support yes. of him. Oh, yeah. Um, because just knowing that the alternative back there was so bleak that to right. be in, good, in a good, secure, and, and faithful mm -hmm. home here, um, a Catholic family. He grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. Linda yes. did. Yep. And so, uh, so she was kind so of. She actually early. consented for us to get guardianship of him and, and keep him here. Uh -huh. And so now he's, he's running he's track green, at Purdue. Green <laughs> Look at that. So he's he's your, your number two, your second son. Yeah. And he's a uh, Purdue student. Go Boilermakers, my alma mm -hmm. mater. And yep. he's running track, doing quite well. Yeah. Um, he's going to be uh, quite a star up there, I think. And. Um, what a what a beautiful stories of how f you know sometimes we forget that their family forms in many different ways mm -hmm. um, in people's lives and sometimes it's biological and sometimes uh, it, it comes in other forms in this case I think it's a spiritual family that formed mm -hmm. um, that uh, the love of Christ exuding out into the world uh, from the Eucharist from our faith and uh and embracing here's two boys from different parts of the world that experience god's love through you and now are uh forever part of your inner circle mm -hmm. right well and you know god adopts us as his children right yeah. and so why would we not right we, we have this opportunity to not just be hospitable which we're commanded to be right but to you know the the lord sets the lonely in families right you know, it's, it's from, you know, it's like, you know, we have this opportunity. Why would we squander that? You know, to show God's love for us, you know, he gives us his very self, right? And through baptism, we're, we're adopted into his family. How can we not share that love with others who need it, you know? Yeah. And, so, and you certainly have done that over many years, yeah. uh, hosting all these these boys are young men, and but in a very particular way with um, with Limba and Don, just to really embrace that as part of your family. Mm -hmm. Now, I can only imagine what sometimes your family life looks like. Now, I've been I've been to your home. There's dogs. There's kids. There's boys running everywhere, and boys, you know, teenage boys. But um, even there, you know, you you've embraced it. I'm sure there was times where you thought, okay, no more timeout, no more exchange students, you know. Because you didn't have to. It's diff a little right. different than if you had you you know you have mm -hmm. five kids or something and you're they're biological years and you're like, well, I can't just abandon them now, right? right? But you could have said after this one, we're not going to do anymore. But you've continued to um, just open up your home uh, to them. So thank you for that that witness. I'm yeah, sure sometimes the phrase that we throw back and forth is embrace the dysfunction. Embrace the dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds like. That sounds like typical family life right there. Well, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. you know, who left the milk out? And <laughs> I know it wasn't me, and I know it wasn't her. Yeah. And that you go down the line, wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Right, I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know. It's like embrace um, the dysfunction. It's, right. yeah, it's all good. It is. I just it's had the wedding of my niece uh, back home in my home parish, and, um, she, there are 34 nieces and nephews, and she's a, my youngest sister, so she's the first to be married for my youngest sister. And um, I was just reflecting how beautiful it is that family life has come to this place where two people who weren't 
um, supposed to be able to have children themselves, but ended up with nine kids. And, and then, um, you know, the chaos, the, the memories of the chaos of raising us, you know, kind of flash back. And all I can think of is they have got to be saints in heaven. Those two people have got to be saints in heaven. And I think the same of you two. You're on, a, on your journey to heaven. It is, it, you know, when you were teenagers and were, you know, good friends and back in school and, you know, who knew that I, I'm sure you would never guess how God would ha have you on a journey of sainthood in a way that has yeah. been so unique and beautiful. I mean, we thought we would be in a foreign country somewhere, right? Yeah, we, 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 we thought we would be missionaries somewhere by now or, or you know, you know, pastoring some church and um, some random place, you know, yeah. and, and people every now and then ask us, you know, how could you have, you know, given all of that up to join the Catholics? And I look at them and say, well, we didn't give anything up. We, we still read the Bible. We still read the scriptures. We still memorize scriptures. We still quote scriptures. We still have Jesus in our heart. We still, you know, um, you know, have moments of, of, of revival and where we draw closer to the Lord. But now it, it, it's like we, we've entered the fullness of the heavenly buffet, you know. I mean, instead of just sort of snacking on crackers and, and soda, you know, we've entered the, the fullness of it. It's not just bread and wine. It's his body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's the most intimate uh, connection with Jesus. Not only do I have him in my heart, but I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm taking him into my soul. And I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've, I've, I've come into church with a particular prayer burden or, or even not even just feeling well, sore throat, headache. And after receiving communion and spending time in prayer, that burden or that ailment just evaporates. Mm -hmm. You know, because it, it's Jesus going, hey, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to take care of this. There, there, there have been situations at school with students that I've, I've brought those burdens before the Lord in prayer. And then as... Um, I mean, I like that we all kneel after receiving communion and get to pray while everyone else is going through the line. So I'm not a fan of making the communion line go faster for the sake of faster because it's good prayer time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, taking those students, taking those things in our family, our own boys, you know, before the Lord, and, and he's right there with you. I mean, you just received him and... Substantially. Like, substantially. Actually, like, for real. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not just symbolic right it's not just something that you're kind of doing you know or emotions or whatever it's it's true and real and and you know it and it's what the church has taught all along <laughs> all along yeah one right. of my favorite early church fathers saint justin martyr and i you know he has this beautiful um writing on how, you know, when we consume something in our bodies of food, we metabolize that, right? Um, that's metabolized into our body to become part of us. But he says when we receive the Eucharist, it's in fact Jesus who metabolizes us and we become him, mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly what the Eucharist, yeah. you know, uh, is such a great gift. Uh, and wh why we're having a revival because, you know, way too many Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Holy Eucharist, that He is really present body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, and, and of course, then the great news of sharing with those 
who have never heard of this, have never heard the word Eucharist or Jesus in the Eucharist, um, maybe have never been taught this truth. Um, so I'm, we're, we're so excited that we're a part of this revival mm-hmm. here in the heart of, uh, of the Congress in July of 2024. We've already signed up. We've <laughs> already signed up. You're so in. It's like, like, yes, yes. we got to right be, here. We gotta be there. Yeah. yeah, this church is going to be the Adoration Chapel, seating That's about 1,000 awesome. people in Adoration. Lucas Oil Stadium just to our south. Two blocks will be the place where the heart of um, the, the liturgy happens of 80,000 people in Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, there'll, there'll be more ruckus there than any Colts football game. Um, it'll be the ruckus of the heart moving, right? Mm-hmm. The mind and soul uh, towards Christ. And we can only imagine what, a, what, what this revival will do, not just for you know, our parish life, but for the greater city of Indianapolis, and really the country and the world. And so we're, we're so grateful um, to have you guys um, witness today. You're, you're sharing so openly about your conversion. I, we could talk for hours, of course. A final question that I like to, I'd like to ask you, what advice do you have to someone who maybe has you know, been told that, hey, stay away from that belief of the Catholics um, and you know, they just kind of shut that off or to somebody that maybe is unsure about the years, maybe they've been studying it and, and, and open to it, but they're still not, um, hundred percent there. Any words of wisdom for them uh, that you'd like to share? Well, for, for those who are, are wondering about it, I would say just start coming to Mass. Mm-hmm. I, I know you, you, you shouldn't participate, you shouldn't go up and, and, and receive the, the, the Eucharist right now, but Come just start coming. And while people are going up, there's a prayer of spiritual communion that you can learn. But start asking the Lord, because he's, he's there in the altar, he's there in the elements. Lord, is this true? Is, is that really you? And I, I think that as you spend time asking the Lord to reveal that question to you, the Holy Spirit will draw you in, um, and you will start putting people in your life that will help encourage you. And if you're a fallen away Catholic, um, come back. Um, it, it, it's true. It's, it's, real. It, it, it's, it's the most, when we, when we ran into this, it was, we have to drop everything and that's where we have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and if mass is scary, right? Cause you know, it could be, um, find a church that has adoration and go and pray before Jesus and the sacrament because he will come to you. You know, you know the, the scriptures are absolutely solid on this point. If you seek, you will find. Right. Amen. And that's a beautiful way to just invite people to consider mm-hmm. the, the possibility of this great truth that for a cradle Catholic can easily be taken for granted, and we dare not. For someone who has had conversion to or reversion into the faith, you know now, you know, you can't live without it, without right, Jesus right. in the Eucharist. We can't imagine it. To whom shall and we go? To whom shall we go? John chapter 6, spend some time there as well and um, see what the church has to say there. Well, we uh, thank you for joining us for this podcast. Um, we welcome you anytime to St. John's, and we especially welcome you to come join us during their Eucharistic Congress uh, this July the 17th, 18th, the beginning of the Congress through the 21st. And we uh, will continue to pray for all those um, that will be joining us in pilgrimage this summer. That'll just be um, just a historical, but even more so a spirit-filled time for this community.
community, for our church, and for those uh, who don't even know yet what they're missing. That you know, God will bring many to us. Let us close in a prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Lord, we just thank you for this time to gather in your holy name and the sacredness of your church and your presence and the Holy Eucharist in the tabernacle this day. Uh, Lord, thank you for Thomas and Beth and their witness and just their, their, their faithfulness to you for all these years since they were children and accepted you as their Lord and Savior to this day where they continue to seek you and to know and love you, to serve you and to present you to others. Um, thank you, Lord, for uh, this parish of St. John's and for the Church Universal. Um, bless us as we go forth in this Advent season. All those who have joined us in this podcast, uh, may this time of preparation, of longing for and waiting you as a Christ child at Christmas be fruitful and faithful and help us to grow in divine intimacy with you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Thomas and Beth. Thanks, Let's Father. go in peace. Thank you, Father. Thanks, Father.